Good morning. Good to be with you and uh, joy to be tackling a topic. I'm not sure if it's a, a hot button issue or just a hard issue. And uh, I don't know, I don't know how many of you are hockey fans, and and I'm. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the events of last night. That's probably a little too tender for many. Um, but I don't know if you recognize the name Shane Wright. Anybody know the name Shane Wright? He's a young, up-and-coming star hockey player. I think he's 18. And uh, he's supposed to, likely, will be the first selection for the draft for the NHL coming up in a few weeks, whenever that is. And uh, what caught my attention about Shane Wright, he is a phenomenal player. I, I know nothing about him other than what I read on the headline. And I think he's kind of, in a sense, full of himself. But here's what it says. Um, it says, Shane Wright said he deserves to be the number one pick in this year's NHL draft. And you go on to read the article and it said, well, Anybody knows, if you just look at my track record and, and the years I've been having and the goals I've scored, uh, I deserve to be the first one picked. And uh, probably nobody can argue with that. I was thinking, though, in relationship to this morning, I kind of feel like I deserve to be the one up here talking about this topic. I think the, the leadership here um, selected me uh, from a from a a myriad of other options. Uh, I'm the one that is qualified to talk about idolatry, not just because it's a, a one-time thing that I've struggled with over the years, but uh, I have to admit, right up you know, into this week, I've struggled with idols in my life, struggled with idolatry, allowing, as, as, uh, as uh, our brother mentioned, just the... the the struggle of allowing other things to creep in. Andreas, I couldn't remember your name, I'm sorry. It's one, of, it's one of those things that happens when you're up front, your brain goes to mush. Anyways, um, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. That's where we want to camp for a little while. As we, as we talk about idols, I really want to just keep it quite simple. Um, number one, what is an idol? Uh, number two, why are idols a problem? And then number three, what can we do about idols? Or what should we do about idols? So what are idols? Uh, why are they a problem? And then thirdly, what can we do about them? You might be thinking as you hear me talk about struggling with idols and you say, I, I can't believe, like, do you really have some kind of a, a carved image under your bed or like on your bookshelf somewhere? Like, do you have something with big eyes and like a funny looking humanoid creature on your shelf? Like, I can't believe you would be so foolish and fall for something like that. Well, that's, a, that's really um, a fair question and a way of thinking. Um, if we go to the Old Testament in, in particular, we read a lot about these carved images, these carved idols, and God is, is not, um, he, he doesn't withhold anything, he doesn't pull any punches when he talks about idolatry in the Old Testament. So for example, in Isaiah 44, the prophet Isaiah says uh, about the idol maker, he burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good, then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. 
He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. And so the prophet Isaiah is just talking about the, the folly, the, the foolishness of you've got a stick of wood. You take half of it, you put it in the fire, you heat the, you know, the room and you, and you enjoy a, a warm meal. The other part of it you carve into a God and you bow down and worship it. Well, the reality is, if you think through the logic of it, actually the half that he burned in the fire, you're getting more use out of because this God is absolutely helpless and can do nothing. A couple of chapters later in Isaiah 46, um, God is pointing out the irony that when Babylon was carried off into captivity, uh, that he paints the scene in Isaiah 46 in verse 1, and he talks about two gods, two idols, likely they were Uh, images carved out of stone and he says you load them on a cart and you have to carry them off with you your gods and so you've got this picture of these oxen that are weighted are loaded down with uh, the cart is loaded down these oxen are tired and they're hauling their idols they're hauling their gods off with them and God is pointing out through Isaiah how ludicrous it is he these idols, they can't even save themselves. They have to be carried on, an, uh, on a cart. Um, they, they can't deliver you. You have to deliver them and rescue your gods, your carved images, uh, and take them with you. So if you're thinking, okay, Randy, you're an idol worshiper. You've got these stone images or something uh, in your bedroom or somewhere. Uh, we, really, we really need to talk. Well, the Bible does go on, and there is a transition made, certainly from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we discover that, that God isn't really so interested and concerned about the, the physical, symbolic things, but, but those things point to, they're a symptom of something that's going on in the heart, and that's what leads us to Romans 1. There's, there's a problem of the heart that leads to idolatry, and so what was going on in, in the Old Testament era with these grave carved images and, and um, the, whether it's wood or stone or metal, um, the, the real issue is what was going on in the heart. And, and really it, it goes back all the way to the beginning of Genesis where uh, Adam and Eve are given an option. There's always two choices, right? You can choose to follow the one true God or you can follow the lie of the enemy and you can go another direction and you can think and, uh, that, that satisfaction and fulfillment can be found somewhere else other than the one true God. And so we read in Romans 1, these are perhaps well known to you, maybe for some of you it'll be the first time you've ever heard these, but this is Romans 1 and I'm going to break in at verse 20. Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Put a pause button there just as we read. So what what Paul is saying to the Romans is that the created world gives plenty of evidence for the existence of God. Men are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts 
were darkened. Notice the heart there. Although they claimed, verse 22, to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is to be praised forever. So if you want a, a, a boiled-down definition of idolatry, it's this exchange that has taken place where they are now worshipping and serving created things rather than the Creator. So I'm talking about they. That's a problem for us, right? When we start to worship things that are within the created realm, we stop worshiping and focusing on the, the uncreated creator and we start uh, getting our uh, satisfaction and uh, we're putting our attention and, and seeking after things uh, that are in the created realm rather than the creator himself. Now, Andreas mentioned the, the button on the screen if you go to the website, you will find there are some excellent articles, uh, and in particular, those that are done are written by Tim Keller on this topic of idolatry. Uh, he's got some great books, some great videos and resources there. I, I watched a few of them, um, and, and it's really, really helpful information. He, he says it this way, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you more than God can give you. So suddenly now we're not talking about stones and pieces of metal and carved wood, right? We're, we're talking about things that our heart is drawn to, that we we want more than God himself, that we desire more than God himself, that we give ourselves to. He goes on, Tim Keller goes on and says, an idol can be anything. An idol can be family. It can be children. It can be a career. It could be making money. It could be a social standing. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be your own competence and skill. It can be physical beauty, either in yourself, not in my case, or, or in others. It can be some political or social cause. It can be your moral record. It can be your religiosity, even your ministry success. All those things, he said, can be Idols, And so an idol, really, if you boil it down, is, is when we value anything more than God himself. Okay, now let's, let's ask the question. Let's be real here. Am I the only one who struggles with idolatry in the room? Not based on those definitions. When, when we start thinking about the heart. Now, now here's, this is always good, just to think about this and, and bring it down to our own um, experience. And um, if, if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you, do you believe that God is great and everything that we sang about 
this morning is true, you would say, absolutely yes. I'm, I'm all, I believe it with, with all my heart. Okay, well then, then let's do a, well, no. If I were to have some device, if, if I had some kind of technology, uh, some smart device, and I could put up on the screen a, a transcript of, of everything you thought about this week. And, and everything that you talked about in private conversation, everything that you desired, everything that motivated you. I wonder what it would say, and I wonder what our, the conclusion would be. We'd be like, oh, that's embarrassing. But I think we would all recognize that we're all we're all equals in this. We all struggle with this. We, we all have this part within us that desires after, longs after, seeks after other things. And so really my point is Randy Hoffman is not the only one who struggles with idolatry in the room. So hopefully I've made my first point and we can move on. But, but it's important again just to recognize that, that idols, they can be physical things. Because, of course, we can put our, our dreams and our hopes and we can, if this one particular thing was taken away from us, we'd say, oh, my life doesn't have meaning anymore. That's, that's a red flag issue, or a red flag when you see that, when, when if something would be taken away, my life doesn't have meaning or purpose anymore, that, that whatever it is has become an idol. Another, just caveat, another little detail, um, they're not you'll notice a lot of the lists that I read, they're not bad things in that list, right? They're not inherently evil. I mean, it's good to work. It's, it's good to raise a family, to love our kids and all those kinds of things. It's not, it's not that our idols are made up normally of, of evil things. Oftentimes the problem is that they're good things that have become ultimate things. There's a transition that takes place, right? Where, where good things become ultimate things. And that's why it's so subtle. And, and we can sit here and think, well, I don't deal with real idolatry issues because we're just, we're, we're ha- these, all these things are things that are given to me by God and responsibilities and everything. But when those things become ultimate and they displace God from our lives and our focus on God, that's when they become idolatrous. So, Quickly, why, why are idols a problem? Well, number one, um, and this, this goes to, um, or t- is taken from, I had a verse and I, I forgot it. I, was, I didn't write it down just because I knew I was going to remember it. But so, <laughs> so I'll, write, I'll jump to the one that I wrote down. Psalm 96 is, is a wonderful psalm where, where the psalmist is just saying, listen, uh, we have an amazing glorious God and the, the, he goes on to say give unto God the glory the worship that he is worthy of that he is due uh, ascribe give him what he is deserving of and, and one of the realities as, the, as Christians the more we get to know God the more we discover that he is worthy of worship and honor one of the things I love about God, and, and certainly as I think more and more about Jesus himself and his life, the more you get to know him, the more beautiful you discover he is, more good he is. Uh, the more you get to know me, you discover 
yeah, I'm not as good as you know I might appear on the platform, or that you know you talk to my kids, whatever that whole thing. But that's true of all of us. The more you get to know us as individually, you see through the veneer, and you see, yeah, there's a sinful heart in there. There's a there's a divided you know allegiances and that kind of thing. But the more you come to know God through the person of Jesus, you find He is He is amazing. He is beautiful, and He is worthy. Of worship, And so one of the problems with idols is that we rob God of the worship that he is worthy of. That's kind of an obvious point. Whenever we turn to idols in that moment, Satan wins. Because Satan is all about, uh, the, as he was back in, in um, Genesis, listen, God is withholding. Um, there's something better than obeying God himself, and if you go this way, you'll be better off than if you obey God. And that's, that's always the tension that we face. And so whenever we start to uh, put our focus on and our attention on and, and in essence, uh, worship something other than God, in that moment, Satan wins, and uh, we're believing the lie that there's something else better than God himself. Psalm 115 is another a problem uh, points out another problem with idols, and I encourage you just to turn there, Psalm 115, and I'll just read a couple of verses. The Psalms are full of, of passages relating to idols, and again, most often talking about the, the, the physical uh, expressions of idolatry. But Psalm 115 I'll just break in at verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses they cannot smell, have hands but cannot feel. They cannot walk, nor they can utter sound with their throats. And then verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. There's a, there's a principle, there's, a, there's just a, a reality in the, in the spiritual realm that we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. What do I mean by that? If we think of the Christian life, that's one of the things that's amazingly true. That the more we spend time worshiping God, and, and discovering what God is like and who he is, that the Spirit of God works inside of us and he changes us. And there's lots of passages that talk about that, how we, we, we become, uh, the word is transformed from the inside out and we begin to reflect what God is like to a world that is around us. The, the more that we spend time with him and enjoying him and worshiping him and, and spending time with his people and, and so on, the, the more we are changed little by little. The, the technical, the theological term for that, if you're interested, is theological, uh, theological, uh, progressive sanctification. It's this process that God is doing in our life to change us and he does that as we spend time with him. He changes us little by little. Our, our attitudes, our, our thinking, our priorities, our desires begin to change little by little. Sometimes that involves uh, repenting, confessing, uh, and turning. Sometimes it involves the teaching, uh, reading the Bible, those kinds of things. But we're changed little by little. But the opposite is also true. When we start to worship things that are 
created when we start to get our eyes and focus off God himself and we start to uh, focus on um, things and people rather than God himself, it, it, as Romans says, uh, our foolish hearts are darkened. Uh, we turn from the light and we start walking towards the dark and, um, and then, and then think, the wheels start, uh, fall off the carriage, if you know what I mean. Um, for example, if my, if my hope is in a political figure or a political party or a political movement, and, and I start becoming obsessed with you know, that political party and that political movement, and, and suddenly I start talking about it and I start thinking about it and I start being uh, uh, consumed by it, um, suddenly I start becoming very political in the way I talk, in the way I think, and little by little I start moving in that direction. Perhaps it's, it's money and success and influence and, and I can start uh, pursuing those things and throwing aside all of the, the uh, maybe the biblical uh, boundaries that are in the Christian life and I start um, seeking after rather than being content and, and working to provide for my family or, or whatever, but, but I start pursuing and making that my ultimate end. Um, suddenly I can become just like everybody else around me and I, I lose um, that opportunity to reflect what God is like and I just become another, you know, hard-nosed businessman, you know, or whatever else. And, and so we can go down the line if, if sex and sexual satisfaction is my, you know, if I'm looking for that pleasure and that ultimate end and that's to me more important than anything else, then in my language, then in my actions, it all becomes sexualized and, and I become like that which I'm pursuing. And so whenever, and, and it's true of every kind of idol, when we, when we start setting other things uh, apart from God in that ultimate place, uh, there's, as the psalmist says here, we become like that which we worship. And so much more could be said about that. And then there's one other one other point that I think is really important, and, and uh, I invite you to turn to Jonah, uh, just because I just think it's fascinating where this insight comes from. It comes from the belly of the whale. Um, Jonah becomes very philosophical when he, after he's been swallowed by this big fish. And, um, and Jonah, too, is this great prayer of Jonah as he's in the belly of the whale. And right at the end of that um, prayer, he, he makes this statement. This is Jonah 2 and verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I'll read that again. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. The ESV says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So what Jonah is saying there is actually there's a double tragedy in being an idol worshiper. There's, there's a double tragedy problem here and, and it leads to double tragedy. First of all he says those who cling to worthless idols. 
One of the things we will discover is if we are if we are clinging to something other than God himself, we will ultimately find at some point that 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 what we're clinging to is is an empty hope. It's a in a sense a mirage. It's a as Jeremiah the prophet says, it's a dry cistern and it really ultimately won't satisfy. And and so an idol, no matter what kind it is, will ultimately uh, be defined by its worthlessness, its helplessness, just like the Babylonian gods that they had to load onto a cart and, and carry off with them into captivity. Could do nothing to help them, even though they probably spent their whole lives praying to this, the, the god of Baal and, and so on. Uh, it could do nothing when, when the time came for when they really needed him. And so that's the, the tragedy as we allow other things to creep into that ultimate category that only God should have, even though we may not be physically bowing down to anything, but our, uh, the, our hearts are desiring it, we're seeking it, we're loving it more than God himself, uh, it, it turns out to be empty, it turns out to be worthless, but then more tragically than that is that we, we miss out on enjoying God's love for us. Notice what it says again. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And so as a, a friend of mine says, when people embrace or cling to idols, they reject the opportunity to be loved by the one true God. The one who says, I'm a very present help in time of trouble. And so, you know, we can... We can cling to these different things we can we can turn to maybe it's a hobby maybe it's a a financial portfolio maybe it's a a romantic relationship maybe it's a career we we cling to those things and we we hang on to them for all they're worth but as we're doing so we're missing out on the opportunity to enjoy what god really wants with us an exclusive love relationship with him and, and that's why the language throughout the entire Bible is about spiritual adultery. God takes it very personally when, when we love things other than him. He says, I want to be your lover. We don't often use that language, but, but that's the language of the Bible. He says, I want to be your lover, to be in an exclusive love relationship with you. And, and when you turn your and look at other things you're essentially turning your back on me and you miss out on the joy and the privilege as christians of of a relationship with him so uh, that's that's obvious a problem um, we we rob god of what he's worthy of um, we start to take on um, the characteristics of the very things we worship and we miss out on the kind of love relationship that God wants us to have. So what do, we, what do we do about these idols? Well, I only have one message here. That's one of the problems with tackling these kinds of topics on one message. But what do we do? Well, first of all, uh, I have just three short answers to this. If we really are serious about having our idols exposed, we, we, need, we need help. I mean, we need... We need the Lord, we need God himself to turn the lights on uh, in our heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. It, it, is, 
it is so twisted and, and we have this mixed uh, we have these mixed allegiances divided allegiances uh, allegiances and sometimes as I mentioned earlier the transition from good to ultimate is so subtle we don't even know what's going on and we don't even realize we may be sitting here and thinking man I you mentioned a number of things and I hadn't even thought of those things being pos- possible you know that I could be guilty of those very things and so I love Psalm 139 um, it just the last couple of verses because the psalmist there I think is recognizing this very reality that that it's so hard sometimes to really know what's going on in our hearts and he prays this prayer search me O God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any uh, depending on the translation any grievous or offensive way in me and then lead me in the right way and it's, it's interesting that that word in the original actually is the word, it's linked to the word idol. He's saying, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any, if there's any kind of idolatrous thing within me. Bring, bring it out into the open. If we're serious about addressing the idols in our life, uh, we, really need to, we really need to pray that prayer and sit down uh, in a quiet place with the Lord with a notebook and say, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm open. I want to I know what these things are. And if there are things that are standing between me and an exclusive love relationship with you, um, shine the light on them. Uh, I, need to, I need to see them for what they are. Um, and, then, and then the second one is, is this, and this is taken from Ezekiel um, 14. Ezekiel is talking about the leaders of Israel and he said this, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Then he goes on and says, This is what you need to tell the people of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. When Jesus was walking on earth, he, um, he came to this man that was lying for 38 years beside the pool of Bethesda. He was lame. Jesus said to the man, do you want to be made well? For years I read that and I thought, what a crazy question. Why would, why would Jesus, of course he wants to be made well. Well, the point was Jesus needed him to say it. Jesus needed to to have this man say, I really want to be made well. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be where I am. I want to change. And, and for us, what does that look like? Um, when the Lord shows us, when God shows us these, these idols in our life, um, really it's, a, it's as simple as saying, God, I'm sorry. I, I really do want you more than all these other things. All of these things you've shown me, they're robbing you of what you deserve from me. Uh, they're destructive to my own life, to my relationships, to my family, and, and stand in the way of me enjoying a relationship with you. And so repentance is, is, a, is a big word. It's a heavy word. It talks about changing direction, and it really is the, the change of heart that is most important in this, where we say, God, um, you're showing me things, and, and I need to turn from them. I want to turn from them. And, and I want to follow you. And, and so there's that, that change of heart, um, repentance. 
Sometimes, and, and again, I don't have the time to really tackle this, but sometimes these things fall into the category of addictions, physical addictions. Um, Satan loves to use the natural desires and our inclination towards idolatry, and it, it makes a toxic mix. And, and we get drawn into things at, where we're looking for physical satisfaction or relief. Um, and, and sometimes we just need that help of somebody walking with us um, to, to help us navigate. We may, we may see it, we may feel it and want to move from it, but we need others to walk with us um, to, to, on that journey of being uh, freed from idolatries. Finally, um, we, the third thing, and just very briefly, uh, we need to fill up our life with Jesus. Um, here's a glass of water. I'll drink a little bit of it. The question is, how do we get oxygen out of this glass? And, and the fact is, there's a number of ways we could do it. We could seal it off, and if it was an empty glass, we could seal it off and you know, burn out the oxygen. Somehow we could draw it out. But in the natural realm, we know that this glass really wants to be filled with oxygen. And so if I cover it over with saran wrap and you know, somehow get all the oxygen out of it, but then I poke a little pinprick in, you know, it's going to fill up real fast again. And, and it's true of me as well. I can, I can say, okay, I want to get rid of the idols. I'm going to do everything I can, and I try and make rules, and I make decisions and everything else. But the reality is, that to live in a vacuum, we just, we just don't do it. We will worship something. We are going to be drawn to something. And so the best and the easiest way to get rid of the oxygen is to displace it, right? To get rid of the air is just fill your glass with water. And the more you fill the glass with water, uh, the less space there is for, uh, for air, for oxygen. And the same thing is true in the spiritual context as well. The more we fill our lives, uh, as we were reminded this morning, the more we remember, the more we come together and encourage each other, the more we worship, the more we're captivated by him, the, the, the idols uh, tend to grow less and less and lose their grip and lose their power. And so, again, lots could be said about that, but it's this, uh, there was a, an old sermon from a couple hundred years ago, and if you're, if you're kind of one of these geeky kind of theological kind of people, um, they do go together sometimes. But um, if you're interested, there's a sermon that you can Google. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's from 200 years ago. Uh, and it's an amazing message. He uses that illustration, but he talks about how, you know, love for the world and everything else, we can, we can know it's bad, we can, but, but until it's replaced, until it's removed with, with a greater love, um, it's going to be a hopeless battle. And so for us, as, we, as we're dealing with these idols, um, let's, let's come to him. The, the gospel message is a message about how much God loved the world. And, and rescued us. Um, he, he, he went all the way to deal with the sin problem so that our relationship could be restored and we could be brought to him. And so just as we close here, um, you're probably feeling like you've been drinking from a fire hose. You came in here not having any clue that you had any issues with idols and now suddenly you're thinking about 36 of them that you're dealing with and um, I get it. Um, and so my encouragement to you is don't forget about it. 
go home and say, Lord, um, what is true in my life? Uh, you know my heart. Uh, the preacher doesn't. Nobody else does. And uh, where the Lord is, is showing us things, then let's, let's be willing to turn from them and say, Lord, I'm going to redouble my efforts to pursue this growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, and that ultimately will uh, move out the idols little by little. So that's the, that's the hot button on idols. And we'll ask the, the team to come and I'll come back up and close in a minute.